The last couple of weeks we have been talking about holy vocabulary, and last week we talked about humans. Who can remember the words that we use to describe humans? Humanity. Who can remember? No one listened last week. Hmm? Nobody remembers? Depraved, okay, sinners. All right, anyone else? What other words? Loss. And there was one other one. Huh? No, we had to be found, so we were lost. Nobody remembers. Anyway, this week we're going to look at Jesus. And first of all, I'm going to ask a question. What comes to your mind when you hear the word Jesus? Hmm? He d- dying? Okay. What else? What are some other words? Savior? Messiah? Cross? Okay. As you know, um, you know, the first video that we showed with a man speaking, um, you know, that's a very famous video. That's my king and how he describes Jesus and how he describes all the things that Jesus, because Jesus is indescribable. We can say a lot of words, we can try to describe him, but there are a lot of words that come to our mind. But in today's world, we have, in a sense, we have shrunk Jesus. I don't know how many of you have ever seen the shirt that says, and I just despise the shirt, and I hope none of you have it, but you might have it. Jesus is my homeboy. Anyone ever seen that shirt? Or heard about that shirt, Jesus is my homeboy? You know, I, nobody ever heard about it? Well, anyway, the shirt that was made says, Jesus is my homeboy. And I think in some aspects, it just takes the reverence of who Jesus is. And, you know, I just feel that that's, yes, Jesus is our friend. He's our father. But to say he's my homeboy, like, you know, I'll come to David and be like, yeah, there it is, my boy still, you know, you know. I don't think it's like that with Jesus. No, me and you ain't like that, right? Yeah, David doesn't like, David doesn't like me very much. So, but Jesus is supposed to be, and we'll look at it, our Savior. But here are some other words that we can look at. Jesus, we think of redemption, redeem, to buy back. Grace, a free gift that I don't deserve. Mercy, loving kindness towards us. Propitiation. How many of you ever heard that word? How many of you never knew what it meant? You just, you know, taking the wrath of God for us and Savior to save us from death. So we're going to look at three words tonight that we could think of, and I'm going to start with begotten. Begotten. Because for us who are a little bit older, we have... All learned this verse in the King James Version, right? John 3.16. Let's all say it together because I know all of us in this room will say it in the King James because that's how we have learned it. Let's see. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Believe it, see? Sorry. Yes, believe it, all right? But we see this is actually, this is how some of our other translations have said, it says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And some versions say, the one and only Son. You see, we have to recognize that God, that Jesus came to this earth, He humbled Himself, as we see in Philippians chapter 2, He humbled Himself from heaven to come to this earth for me and you. His one and only Son. 
That's what God did. And we get so caught. We say, God so loved the world. God loved many nations. He loved the world that He gave us His Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish and have everlasting life. This is a verse that we, this is probably the first verse that all of us in this room have ever learned in our life. But how many of us have lost meaning of this verse? To recognize what God did, that He sent His only Son to die for us. You know, we have a picture of this as Abraham and Isaac, as, as God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his one son. And, you, and, we, and we see that story, and, and that story always comes to my mind because I think of, what if God asked me to sacrifice my only daughter? Would that be an easy thing to do? No. But we know the story of Abraham. When Abraham brings his son Isaac to be sacrificed, what did God do? He provided what? The Lamb. We know that God is the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God. And we know that Jesus came to this earth to die. That was His purpose, to die for us. God sent His only one and begotten Son. We also see in Colossians chapter 1, He is the firstborn. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. We see that God, Jesus, is supposed to be preeminent in our lives. He is supposed to be the one that we exalt. He is supposed to be the one and only God. This is the one that we are supposed to try to be like. Before I came to youth group tonight, um, my daughter has this BBS CD, and I asked her, it said, I want to be like Jesus. And so I said to her, you know, Mercy, you understand the words you're saying, that you want to be like Jesus? And she told me that I don't. I want to be like Meredith on Halloween. So she was. She lost the whole meaning of trying to be like Jesus, but she wants to be like Meredith. You know, who Meredith is. Anyone know who Meredith is? Meredith. See, I don't even know it. Meredith. That's brave. Anyone watch Brave? Yes. That's what she said she wanted to be for Halloween. You know, I wasn't even talking about Halloween. But the point of this is that we must recognize that Jesus is preeminent. He is. In charge. He is in control. Without Him, He holds all things together. It is Jesus who does this. You know, and we start off in this series talking about God and we recognize that God is the Father. And, and this is the part that the Trinity that is very hard for us to understand because Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. That's a hard thing for us to grasp. But we do know that Jesus never sinned. And that's why in verse 20 it says, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So the other thing that we can think of when we think of Jesus is this. And someone said is the cross. The cross is another thing that comes to our mind when we think of Jesus. And it said in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, but it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. 
Now let me ask a question. What comes to your mind when you think of the cross? What comes to your mind? Dying, okay. Blood. Suffering. Do you think we have lost the meaning of the cross sometimes in today's society? That we just make it a, a emblem that we use for, you know, our chains. We put the cross on our, you know, tattoo it on our um, arms. Of course, I don't have a tattoo because I never. I'm scared of needles. But you know, we do all of these things. The cross is almost lost meaning. But when we think of the cross, we think of death. But for us, what we have to recognize is that Jesus didn't die just any death. He died a death that was cursed. That everyone who hanged on a cross was cursed. That's what they thought. This was the worst death that you could ever have. It wasn't just that Jesus died. It wasn't that Jesus died a death that oh, we would just be you know, thinking, oh yes. But he died a death that was cursed. But he redeemed us through this. It's because of his death. It's because of the blood on the cross that saved us. You know, we talked about last week how in our own lives as human beings, in Romans chapter 3, we have all sinned and we fall short of God's glory. And we also looked in that same passage and we understood that no man seeks after God. There's none good. There's nothing that me and you do besides God doing it through us. God does all the work in us. Jesus came to earth to die. But we also know one thing about God, that Jesus. He did not stay dead. He arose. He defeated death. And that's what separates Christianity from every other religion. Because if Jesus would have just stayed dead, he would be no different than any other death. He'd be no different than any other religion or any other king who has ever come before us because we all know that it's appointed for all to once die. And every king that we know of has died. But we know we worship a risen king. We worship a savior that is alive. That separates that from any other religion. And I think in our church today, I think we lost that because we think that when we have Easter, this is the day that we all get excited that Jesus is alive and well. But let's remember that Jesus is always alive. But yet we have this big Easter service where it's almost like we're going to put everything on the line on Easter service because Jesus is alive. But guess what? He's alive every day. He's alive. When we also think of the cross, and as I said, Jesus actually became a curse on the cross. He took on all the world's hate, anger, malice, murder, lust, laziness, and every other sin imaginable. The clean became dirty. The pure became tainted. And the physical pain of the cross was nothing compared to the breaking fellowship with the Father that came as a result. That's what we hand around our neck, hang around our necks and put them on in our car. That's what we accessorize with. That's the cross that we use sometimes to just put a sticker up. And let me just say this. If you have a cross around your neck, I'm not trying to say, oh, you're a bad person. I'm not saying that. I think that we just lost the meaning of the cross. Because as we think of the cross, we're supposed to think of death. We're supposed to think of us dying to ourselves. We're supposed to think of us as believers. Saying, you know what? I want to die to myself. What does is, what is, um, Jesus tell us to do? Carry our cross. He doesn't literally mean for us to have that on our backs. 
He means for us to die every day to ourselves. Because you know what? Me and you are going to struggle with sin every day of our lives. And we must die to ourselves. And I don't think anyone in this room, I don't care how old they are, will tell you that they don't struggle with sin. They don't struggle with the flesh. We must die to ourselves every day. Temptation is a real thing to all of us. But we must remember that the cross sets us free. And that's what, that's what we can remember. The cross of the three in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We must remember that the cross has set us free. It's because of the cross, because of the death of Christ and the resurrection that we can be set free. We can have power over sin. We can have power over death because of this. Not a physical death, but we will, for us who know Christ, we will live with Him forever. You've heard me say that before, that that is the greatest thing when we think of death away from Christ, is that we will be separated from Him forever. But the day that we come, the day that we stand for God and for us who know Christ will be the first time that we truly, genuinely worship God for the first time. Because today we have sin and we struggle with it. And that's a problem that we all face. That's a problem that we all struggle with. And let me tell you, as you, as I know that you're thinking, well, you're 31 now. You don't have the same struggles. Doesn't matter how old you get. Who's the oldest again? Nathan, you're the oldest? You still struggle with sin, right? We all struggle with it. But we have hope in Christ. We have hope in the cross. We have hope in knowing that because of the death and the resurrection of Christ, we can call Him our Savior. Like I said last week, we all are lost. And we all need to be saved. And that brings us to the last word that we're going to look at, and that's grace. Which is, we talked about last week, grace or is a free gift that we don't deserve. And we could also think of Savior. And we looked at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That says, for the, by the grace of God, this is why we have salvation. for the grace of God. Nothing that we did. We can't work for it. I can't do anything for this grace. All salvation is because of God. And J.I. Packer said this, God is good to all in some ways and to some in all ways. The common graces are the some ways. He's good to everyone, but for the people who believe in Him, He's good in all ways. Every other religion in the world boils down to a sort of cosmic barter system. People bring good stuff to their God, whether it's good actions, good money, or good sacrifice in exchange that God gives them some of its good stuff. You see, this is what every other religion is trying to do. They're trying to give something to their God so they can earn this gift. But for me and you, this is a free gift for us. I can't go down the road and buy this. I can't do anything in my life to earn this gift. It's only because of what God has done for me, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that I can have this gift. I can't earn this gift. He must work in my life for me to receive this gift. I can do nothing. It goes on, and, and not so in Christianity. As a grace-based belief system, Christianity is built solely on the extravagant goodness of God. Nothing in us motivates God's grace, and nothing we can do to pay Him back. The part we play in grace is receiving it. That's all that we and you do. We receive this free gift. 
of grace. We receive this free gift of salvation. It's because of the grace that we can call Him Savior. It's because of the grace, like we talked about last week, that we could be lost and now we're saved. We're found. There's nothing that I can do to earn this gift. God must do everything. God has accomplished everything. Jesus has accomplished everything on the cross. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present world. You see, apart from Christ, I am always going to desire the things of this world. Apart from Christ, I'm always going to do the things that aren't what's pleasing to Him. It's because of the grace of God, He has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly lust, or worldly passions, that's it, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. We talked about this last week also in Ephesians chapter 2. As because of God's grace, we have changed from light, from darkness into light. It's only because of His rich grace and mercy that we want anything to do with Him. You know, I know that we have been you know, like I said on Sunday, we have been to a lot of things this summer. We've been to Camp Mount. We've done all these things. And I know we made decisions. I know some of us think, well, I've been to church my whole life. And I've earned my way into heaven. I've earned my way to salvation. But I'm here to tell you this. You can't earn this. There's nothing that we could do to earn this gift of salvation. It's free. It's free. It costs us something. But we gain so much more. Because you know why? Because what the world's going to tell you is this. You don't want nothing to do with Christianity because you know what? It's a boring life. You've got to give up too much for this. You know, you can't have fun. Let me tell you something. That's a lie Satan is telling us. That you can't have fun in Christianity. You know why? People say they don't have fun because they don't gather themselves around Christian friends. They don't surround themselves with the things that they, they should do. You know, you talk to someone who has been in the party life for many years, and they'll tell you, and they come to no credit, they'll be like, man, you know what? I wasted so many years of my life doing that. And you know, for a lot of you, you think, you know, I'm going to wait till I get older to do that. I'm going to wait till I get your age, you know, because that's just, you know, when it's time to do it. Because right now, as a teenager, I went out fun. That's what. I hate to tell you this. You don't know if you'll live to see my age. And that's sad to say, but every time you open your newspapers, what's happening? Young people are dying. And they're getting younger and younger. Let me just say, I ain't here to scare no one because I don't believe in scaring people to make a decision. That's not what I believe in. Because God's going to do the work in your life, in your heart. But I also want to challenge you as a believer. Because you understand that you have a free gift of salvation. You understand that God has placed something in you. And let me just tell you that you should not keep that to yourself. Because you know what? What we'd rather do, we'd rather, we'd rather see 
our friends, and we'd rather try to please our friends instead of telling them the truth about God. You know, I know what it's like in school. I know school is getting ready to open up in like a month. I know it's like in school to try to please your friends and try to do all that you can to be accepted. But let me tell you something. When you graduate, most of the time you ain't never see them friends again. And you recognize, you know what? You just wasted so much of your life trying to please the people that you never will see again. I could probably say I saw maybe 10 people from my undergraduated. And I don't want to say that. That's 13 years. 13 years. I've probably seen 10 people that I graduated with in those 13 years. You know, we say we can stay together. You know, we say we're going to, you know, we can keep in touch. But you know what? There's one person that never leaves us. And that's God. We can hold on to that. We can hold on to His grace. And this is what Philip Yancey says. And he says, grace does not depend on what we have done for God. Rather, what God has done for us. Grace does not depend on what we have done for God. Rather, what God has done for us. You see, we did nothing. I can't reiterate that anymore. We have done nothing for this. And I just challenge you tonight, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and you feel like God is speaking to you, talk to one of the leaders. You know, we're going to have a small group tonight, and I want, you know, there's a, be a time that we really search our hearts and our lives and ask ourselves, what is most important to you? Is it your relationship with God? Or is it everything else? You see, God isn't saying He wants us to be in between. He wants us to be solely for Him. You're either 100% with Him or you're not. So I want to just close and sing in a song that we all know. Hopefully it will work. And the song is called Stronger. And I want us to recognize that it is because of the death of Christ and His resurrection that we can have power over sin.